The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes communities thrive when individuals succeed. Working together, we can help create economic opportunity for all. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, June 20th. In today's news, Iran shoots down a U.S. drone. Hope Hicks stonewalls and horns are starting to grow on the skulls of some kids. New research suggests cell phones are to blame. But first, the big idea. Joe Biden is facing a growing backlash from prominent Democrats and a bit of second guessing from within his own campaign over comments in which he proudly described his history of working hand in hand in the Senate with avowed racists. Biden's remarks, which came at a fundraiser Tuesday night, in which he said one segregationist senator never called me boy, he always called me son, seemed intended to highlight a central argument of his candidacy, that he knows how to bring unity to a polarized nation. Instead, they prompted another controversy for the former vice president and the sharpest attacks yet from his rivals on matters of race that are central to his bid and important to black voters who were a crucial force in deciding the Democratic nomination battle. Senator Cory Booker, whose parents faced racial discrimination when trying to move into a white neighborhood in New Jersey, was explicit that Biden needed to apologize. Kamala Harris, the other African-American senator running for president, said she was deeply concerned by Biden's remarks, telling reporters in a Capitol elevator that she wouldn't be standing there if the senators Biden had worked with had their way. Going into another fundraiser on Wednesday night, Biden pushed back aggressively against everyone calling on him to disavow his comments or apologize. He said politics is being played and called on Booker to apologize to him. Here he is outside a donor's house in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Apologize for what? Cory Booker's called for it. Cory should apologize. He knows better. There's not a racist bone in my body. I've been involved in civil rights my whole career. Period. Booker responded to that by going on CNN around 11 p.m. last night. He said Biden calling on him to apologize was really problematic because it shows he just doesn't get it. Let's take a listen to what Booker told Don Lemon. Somebody running to be the leader of our party should know that using the word boy in the way he did uh, can cause hurt and pain. And we need a presidential nominee and the leader of our party to be sensitive to that. The senator continued. Vice President Biden shouldn't need this lesson. And at a time when we have, from the highest offices in the land, uh, divisiveness, uh, racial hatred, uh, and bigotry being spewed, um, he should have the sensitivity to know that this is a time I need to be an ally, I need to be a healer, I need to not engage in usage of words that will harm folks. The eruption exposes a persistent disconnect in Biden's message on race as he seeks to establish primacy in the historically diverse Democratic presidential field ahead of the first debates next week. While he has cited President Trump's racially divisive rhetoric as an inspiration for his candidacy and drawn strong early support from African-Americans on account of being Barack Obama's number two for eight years, the 76-year-old has also struggled to explain his past views on issues of importance to the black community, such as criminal justice and school integration. Now, his history of collegiality with racists is being seen by many in his party as a reason to question his judgment, not, as Biden says, a sign of his civility. As seemingly random as it was for Biden to reference Senator James O. Eastland from Mississippi, a long-ago deceased segregationist from his own party, 
Some in Biden's campaign had heard him discuss this relationship many times before in private, and they warned him against mentioning it in public. Eastland was in the Senate from the early 1940s to 1978. He literally owned a plantation, and he said that African Americans were, quote, an inferior race. Multiple aides have told us that they personally urged Biden to find a less toxic example, like John McCain or Bob Dole. But as one senior advisor put it to us on background, quote, he's not someone you can go to and just say, you've been doing this X number of years and you can't do this anymore. Put another way, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Iran shot down a U.S. Navy drone in the Persian Gulf region overnight. Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps said it targeted the drone, an RQ-4 Global Hawk, inside Iranian airspace over the southern province of Hormozgan, which is right next to the Strait of Hormuz. A spokesman for the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet directed questions to U.S. Central Command, which wasn't immediately available for comment. But a senior U.S. official confirmed the incident to the Associated Press and said the drone was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. But this person said it was over international airspace in the Strait of Hormuz. The Revolutionary Guard's chief commander, General Hossein Salami, said Thursday in a speech broadcast on state television that, quote, the downing of the American drone was a clear message to America. Meanwhile, the Trump administration has started to push a narrative on Capitol Hill that Iran is closely linked with al-Qaeda. This is drawing skepticism from people who follow the issue closely, but more importantly, it's raising fears that this will be used as either a pretext or a legal justification for going to war. Briefings by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, as well as other State Department and Pentagon officials, have led Democrats and some Republicans to ask whether the administration is trying to build a case that the White House could use to invoke the war authorization passed immediately after the September 11th attacks to battle terror groups as legal cover for military action against Tehran. Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina who has Trump's ear, was on Fox News last night saying the president should bomb Iran if the country does anything else to disrupt shipping activity. Graham said, quote, he should put the oil refineries on the target list and look at sinking the Iranian Navy if they attack shipping again. Number two, the White House blocked former communications director Hope Hicks from answering dozens of questions from Democrats. During a closed-door interview with the House Judiciary Committee, a White House attorney and Justice Department lawyer argued that Hicks had immunity from questions about her West Wing tenure although Hicks is a private citizen. The standoff and the White House's assertion of an exemption that Democrats say simply doesn't exist immediately raised the prospects of the House asking a court to force her to testify. Some members of the panel emerged from the nearly eight-hour session with Hicks, predicting that the episode will only fortify their case that it's time to start impeachment proceedings. But impeachment proponents still face one major obstacle. Her name is Nancy Pelosi. She insisted yesterday that she feels little pressure from her caucus to change her mind. Meanwhile, Felix Sater, a former Trump business partner and a Russian-born real estate developer, will voluntarily testify tomorrow before the House Intelligence Committee. That closed-door interview is part of an inquiry by that House panel into Trump's long-standing interest in expanding his brand into Moscow, a topic that Adam Schiff, the chairman of the committee, has said he intends to explore further. Sater, a U.S. citizen, was originally set to testify in March, but his appearance was postponed. He worked on two efforts to develop a Trump Tower in Moscow, and he escorted Trump's kids, Ivanka and Don Jr., during a 2006 visit to the Russian capital. 
More recently, Sater worked closely with Trump's then-personal attorney, Michael Cohen, on a proposed Moscow development that began in the fall of 2015. Number three, mobile technology has transformed the way we live, how we read, work, communicate, shop, and date. But we already knew this. What we have not yet grasped is the way that tiny machines in front of us are remolding our skeletons, possibly altering not just the behaviors we exhibit, but the bodies we inhabit. New research in biomechanics suggests that young people are developing horn-like spikes at the back of their skulls, bone spurs caused by the forward tilt of the neck, which shifts weight from the spine to the muscles at the back of the head, causing bone growth in the connecting tendons and ligaments. The weight transfer that causes the buildup can be compared to the way the skin thickens into a callus as a response to pressure or abrasion. The result is a hook or horn-like feature jutting out from the skull, just above the neck. In academic papers, a pair of researchers at the University of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia, argues that the prevalence of the bone growth in younger adults points to shifting body posture brought about by the use of modern technology. They say smartphones and other handheld devices are contorting the human form, requiring users to bend their heads forward to make sense of what's happening on their miniature screens. The researchers say the discovery marks the first documentation of a physiological or skeletal adaptation to the penetration of advanced technology into everyday life. We hear all the time from health experts who warn of what they call text neck, and doctors have begun treating what they call texting thumb, which is not a clearly defined condition but bears resemblance to carpal tunnel syndrome. But prior research has not linked phone use to bone-deep evolutionary changes in the body. Until now. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, June 20th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.